welcome to another episode of No Ops Podcast, your podcast where opposition may be the topic, but the resolution is the focus. I am your host, Naisha D, and alongside of me is my guy, Elijah James Jr. Now, yeah, getting to Irvington mm-hmm. was a culture shock for me. Culture shock? It was a culture shock. We had, I'm not even sure how many black officers we had at the time, but it had to be, if we had 198 officers, I would say at least 60 of them were black. And this is 94? Yes. But I could be off. Okay. But it was a number of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, the black officers at that time, to me, coming from some of the things I just told right. you, strong Islamic background, my our men are supposed to be have a backbone. The stories mm-hmm. that some of the Irvington officers would tell me when they started in the 80s mm-hmm. or the 70s, them being called niggers and and uh, all kinds of stuff. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, being okay. Called, being called niggers within like the, that. The, the police department. And so when I, because I've always, you know, talked to the older guys. I talked to everyone. Mm-hmm. And I just, they would tell me those stories. And I just, I'm just like. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, because um, I I don't even know how I would have handled that Mm -hmm. being, you know, who I was. So anyway, um, there was uh, there was there was still a few of those people um, still there that that were racist on the Irvington Police Department. Um, I didn't experience a whole bunch of it, but. It was it was sort of subtle, and I would call them out on it. So when I was on the narcotics team, the task force, there was uh, two two of us that were black, myself and another person who's still working there, so I won't mention his name. And um, there were five Caucasian officers and one Hispanic officer. Um, so we would all supposed to, you know, we'll hit a place, we'll go to a location if we were going to do arrest, surveillance or whatever. So when I when I got on the team, you know, everything was all good at first. So I noticed that they would they would ride around different places and leave us. Like just leave us and we were new to the to the uh narcotics team. The, the two of you or the three? The three of us. Okay. They would just leave us. Okay. And and go do their arrest and get all this stuff and we we had to find our own stuff. And now mind you, we're supposed to be, be a, a team. team. Right, right. Gotcha. All right, so I'm like, okay, so what? We we'll make our own stuff, which was fine. We did. When it was time to do something collective and they needed us, then they would call us. When we did big raids, they would call us for that. Wait, wait. Okay, so I'm not an officer. I've never been an officer. You have a team of five, right? Eight. Team of eight. Eight. When you say leave you, where are you being left at? Okay, so we had two cars. Okay. Sometimes we would take four. We had access to cars. So you would have 
two people in each car, sometimes three in mm-hmm. each car. So we were in our own car. They immediately separated themselves from us. So they had their car. We okay. had our car, but we would all swoop down right. whenever we had to. Or if we're doing surveillance, we can tell the other car. Well, you know, so we were in different vehicles. Mm-hmm. And um, they would get in their vehicle. If, if it's five of them, they may have two cars and all three of us would be in one wow. car. Mm-hmm. And then they put... One of the Caucasians, they didn't like too much because he was very heavy set. They put him with us. So we were the misfit car, <laughs> according wow. to them. So they would do jobs, come in with all these grabs, robberies, whatever the case may be, because it was a task force, not mm-hmm. narcotics. We, we specifically uh, done narcotics, but th- we were a task force, stopping crime. So, um, yeah, so that's what I mean by leave us. They would do stuff without letting us know. They'll come in have a rest and all that. We're still patrolling, trying to find stuff. So whatever they had on their agenda for that day, we weren't privy to. Right. So they, they separated themselves from us, except when they needed us. So, um, you know, I didn't like that. But there was one, one occasion where um, that same group of individuals had an arrest, and um, we were part of this arrest. And the person that they arrested was very, very violent. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, they were fighting with this guy. Um, they subdued the guy. Um, and just because you're in handcuffs don't mean you, you can't fight. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had a guy um, that, that I arrested for domestic violence, real buff guy, just got out of jail, heroin addict. Best time to get a heroin addict is early in the morning before they wake up. Because when they wake up, they they on that mission for that dope. Right. So I handcuffed this guy in the bed. And you talk about kickboxing. I have never seen a person use their legs so much between legs and spit. So, yeah. But back to this story. So after they handcuffed the guy, the guy was just wore out. Mm -hmm. So they put him in a cell. A couple of them, one of them in particular, two actually, uh, decided to hit him a couple of other times. Now, the, the suspect, I couldn't stand him. Mm-hmm. He, he was terrible. <laughs> he was. He fought everybody. But once he's down and out, it's, it's over. over right. So I witnessed one of the officers kicking him. And I, I, I pulled him off. I said, uh-uh, you're going to stop. It's over. It's over. So uh, the supervisor at the time comes in the room. They tell the supervisor that I stopped them and what I said. Are these Caucasian? These officers? are all Caucasians. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the supervisor told me if I didn't like what was going on, I could leave. Now I'm a patrolman in this unit. I said, okay, I will leave. I will go downstairs and start writing my report to the prosecutor's office on what you're doing in here. <laughs> that is a great representation of what we say as a community we need. Like, because we don't hear stories like this. Like, mm-hmm. a like our, one of our past guests, he spoke about um, like holding your uh, partner accountable for mm-hmm. whatever they're doing. Like if you see them doing wrong things, you should go in and say, look, this isn't right. This isn't right. But as being someone in the community, we don't hear stories like this, like people are holding other people accountable. Mm-hmm. So to hear that. No, I seen something that was fucked up and I actually spoke on, mm-hmm. you know, what was messed up. I think that's 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 dope. 
Yep. That's admirable. I like that. And so that was over. To this day, until the gentleman, the, the person that they were beating, he died. But I had seen him several times on the street. Never gave me another problem mm. after that. You know, thanked me and all that. And and he was wrong because he did. I'm telling you, he did assault the guys. But once it was over, it was over. There was one more issue before I asked to get out of that unit. There was this group of individuals that were huge drug dealers in Irvington. Mm-hmm. Set them up, walked down the street. I had a fur coat on, and I'm, I'm walking with one of the Hispanic officers. He's drinking, uh, you know, a beer. So we knew that they were getting their, their, their bundling their stuff. Uh, informant, of course. Mm-hmm. So this is my idea. Let's just walk up on them and just take it. Of course, the Caucasians, we can't do that. No, but we can. So I'm disguising a woman. They don't know what you look like. We're walking up. Sure enough, they there. Soon as the car came up, they got their bundle. We already made the plan. You grab that one. I'm going to grab this one. I grabbed my guy. He grabbed his guy. It was amazing. One other guy ran around the back. We had our officers, the the, uh, team, somewhere in the back, just in case they ran Mm -hmm. through the back. Caught him red-handed. Got about maybe $5,000 in cash, a whole bunch of drugs. We bring them in. I count the money. Then, unbeknownst to the team, because with the guy I grabbed had the money, I immediately count the money when I'm in while they, they doing whatever they're doing, talking to one, one of the people upstairs, you know, trying to get more information on someone else. So then one of the... the uh, uh, Task force members come downstairs to get the money. So I go, where are you taking that money? Oh, I'm taking it upstairs to count it. I was like, oh, yeah, so I could bag it up and all that. So I'm like, okay. Come back down. Meanwhile, I'm in a holding area. So the three guys now are down in a holding area. So one of the guys was like, he going to take my money. Watch. So I'm like, oh, nobody's taking your money, not while I'm working here. <laughs> right? So... Come back down, all bagged up, money and all that. Not sealed yet, because we have the, you know, back then you had... Um, the heat sealer, right? The heat sealer, right. Damn, and so I pulled them. I looked at the envelope, and I saw like $1,700. So I was like, oh, no. I pulled it out, I counted, and I, I, the, the, the uh, task force member... I said, what happened to the rest of this money? He was like, no, that's all. I would say, no, that's not all that's there. You see this? I already did an evidence bag, and I counted this money. And if that money is not right here, right now, I'm telling you right now, I'm telling. Hmm. Next thing you know, that money was there. About three days later, I put to get out of the unit because I already done challenged the supervisor twice, and the supervisor was up there with them. And... I wasn't afraid that they were going to do anything to me because my whole position is if you don't put a bullet in my head, whatever you do to me, I'm going to do back to you. (laughs) So Because they had a a habit of damaging people's car, putting sugar in the tank, putting rats on people's cars and stuff like that, um, which they did to a Caucasian female. They never did it to me. So my thing is if anything happened to my car, anything, guess what? And I I can say now. And and if I don't know who do it did it, Everybody. guess what? Everybody getting it. Right. And that that's just the mentality I had. So I put to get out, and they were always nervous about me now at this point. But I didn't care. The one other incident there, 
which goes back to, I forgot to mention this part, when they were beating the guy Mm -hmm. and the supervisor, I told him I would go downstairs. Well, two of the main uh, task force members, one of them was talking mess to me outside after I said that I'm walking to go downstairs because I was going to write this up. They stopped and um, he said something slick, something smart, like, yeah, we got to watch these spies around here. So, of course, I um, I offered him to go outside with me. Now, I don't know if I could beat him or not. I'm going to take you um, every day. I just, <laughs> I'm, I'm going with you. I'll just tell you. It's- <laughs> I, well, I'm I going said, with you. I'll, let's go in the back. I said, I'm going to f*** you up. i like, who do you think you're talking to? I mean, I went off. I couldn't stand him anyway because he was a, the type of person that not only with me, but he always tried to make a person, an officer, and, and people on the street feel less than themselves. He always had some type of quick wit that was very derogatory, demeaning. Mm-hmm. He patronized you, and he thought that the words that he used was above you, so you didn't get the message. But I always got the message, you know, and he was that type of person. So I really, really wanted to beat him up. So how do you become a captain? You go through, you're you're going through all these different stages. You're obviously standing up for what's right, but there's a lot of people who are doing what's wrong. How do you get to this particular stature? Like, Mm -hmm. how do you make it there? Well, it wasn't a lot. Okay. Stop it. It was... No, I'm saying at that time for me that oh. I that I've seen. Don't, but don't I don't want you to downplay yourself. Oh, you're saying oh a lot of people. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought yeah. you meant it wasn't a lot of work you put in. Oh, I'm no, sorry. With them, yeah. So when the test came up, um, I took the exam. Now, this is another great story. Mm-hmm. So at the time when I came on Irvington Police Department, mm-hmm. there were two black supervisors only. Okay. So five of us decided. To make a pack, we all went to different study groups. We met once a week at my house on Wednesday, and we all shared the information from each study group because our motto was we were in competition with each other, but only on test day. We said we were going to share everything because Mm -hmm. we needed to get promoted. Two black supervisors, 198-man department. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, um. And I was ready to take the sergeant's test since I was there five years. Mm-hmm. And again, getting to Irvington, I said to myself, hearing some of the stories of the other blacks, and I said to myself, not to them, but I'm like, overall, the black men in Irvington is unlike any other black men that I really knew in abundance. And to myself, I was thinking, Not that they were the weakest that I've ever seen. I tried to justify the reason why why some of them would not say things or or allowed uh, racist Caucasians, and it wasn't all of them, to say things to them or to to, um, give them the worst of the worst jobs and everything and never speak up for themselves. You did not see that in Essex County. You did not see that in Rutgers, but you've seen it the most in Irvington. Because I was there the longest. Okay. Yes. Okay. Remember, I was only at the county right. 10 months. Rutgers, no. University, whole different okay. uh, atmosphere. And so I attributed to me coming from Newark, all these places I lived, 
four brothers, mm-hmm. and then I have actually five because my father have another set of children. So mm-hmm. it's actually 11 of us. But um, so I'm saying maybe because they were in Irvington. Irvington, to me, was coming suburbs, from North, right? was the suburbs. Right. So I'm saying maybe. it's maybe not their fault. They made it. They they live in houses. This is my perception. Mm-hmm. You know, they all live in houses. They family-owned houses. You know, um, so... They haven't had the struggle that I've had, and they may not have dealt with a lot of the racism that I have. Remember, I went to North Carolina, and mm-hmm. I've seen some stuff there. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy, that, that's a whole nother story. The Klan mm-hmm. marching on the campus. I'm throwing rocks at them. Mm-hmm. They could have killed me. I was a rebel in North Carolina. It was a mess. It was a, <laughs> and I told you, this could be long if I go through everything. But mm-hmm. anywho, so... I came I there as as sister soldier right. to inspire everybody, and this was the plan. Right, oh, the, whoever wants to. So it was five of us to pay this money twenty five hundred dollars to these study groups. They were very expensive, but we as black people, well, I can't speak for all black people, but we. Most officers at that time, they want to spend that kind of money because you have other things, I guess, you wanted to do. Fancy ass cars. Right, fancy cars. <laughs> uh, $500 sneakers, right. Gucci watches. But um, so we decided to do it and, and we we did. We all came out in the top 10. We came wow. out three, four, five, right after each other. Right. Right. And we all got promoted. The first time in the history of Irvington, we had five African Americans get promoted. And we I shared. think you need to repeat that. <laughs> that was the first time. Wow. Yes. And it was two females, me wow. and another. Um, sergeant, and it was three African-American males, and we all got promoted. We said we were going to do it with the lieutenant's test. Of course, people fell off Mm -hmm. after they got sergeant, Um, so it was down to three of us Mm -hmm. that studied, and um, we all got promoted to lieutenant. Well, not actually. I came out number five on the lieutenant's test. Okay. Right? Now, we needed seven. I came out number five, they say. I came out number five. The uh, sergeant, the female Caucasian sergeant, she had left. So now that made me number four. Mm -hmm. They only promoted the three top guys, number one, two, and three, all men, um, and left me on the list, number one. And they kept saying, promising me, oh, you're going to get promoted, this, that, and the other. Even though I didn't ask, because I refused to ask. I just thought, look, they need all these sergeants. Plus, you did the work. Right. I did the work. I'm going to get it. So something told me, just take that test again and study. And I did. I studied. The list lasts for three years. They told me up until the day their list expired, the mayor's, um, the chief, actually, Mm -hmm. you know, through the mayor, because Mm -hmm. we don't really get to speak with with the mayor. And um, so I didn't get promoted. I took the test again. The list expired in November. Took the test in December. This is the first time that I know of that a list came out so quickly. Because normally when you take the civil service test, it's like four or five five months. months. The list came out that January, I believe, 26. Oh, God. That's quick. I never January 20. Neither have I. I said there has to be a mistake. I was in the Bahamas celebrating my birthday, and my phone was blowing up. And they told me that I came out number two. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. on a lieutenant's list. Now, the ironic thing about that, had the sergeant not left, I would have been number two on the lieutenant's list. But I, I was number one. I was number two. Two of our officers got shot now. At this time, we had no captains. They, we went from 11 captains to zero, right? So it was all lieutenants. Right. So two of our officers got shot. So they promoted two captains from lieutenant to captains. Since they promoted two captains, they had to replace the two captains with two lieutenants. Mm-hmm. And guess what? I got promoted to lieutenant. So that's how that worked. Fast forward um, the captain's exam. Uh, we pretty much studied on our own at this part. Everyone went their separate ways, um, except myself and one other person, because the person that got promoted didn't get promoted to lieutenant, the third person, female. She didn't get promoted to lieutenant when we did because she didn't, excuse me, score as high as as we did. Um, so she didn't get promoted that time around. Ultimately, she did on another list. So we got promoted. Uh, took the captain's exam and uh, came out number three on the captain's exam. During this time, I had major issues, never had any problems in my career. Um, you know, if I saw something wrong, no matter who it was, I would uh, facts challenge it. Facts. Mm-hmm. I ended up being in internal affairs in 2003, got promoted to sergeant in 2001. So I went to internal affairs as a supervisor. Through that process, um, you know, we had a chief. Um, He became chief. He was acting chief. African-American, he became acting chief and then chief ultimately. Um, As acting chief, wasn't a bad guy. I stayed away from him because he was very... I would say flirtatious, right? And I wasn't having any of it. Okay. He was older, okay. and he likes to say little stuff, and he always wants to whisper in people's ear. And I didn't like that. Don't touch me. Don't. I didn't like it. But he still would make remarks, not like super vulgar, but because who it was coming from, and you know what they're mm-hmm. trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it. So, um, a quick example: if I had on a, a pair of pants. You must be gaining weight because them pants sure looking tight. They look really nice, too. Stuff like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I would respond like, that's inappropriate. Or he would always try to whisper something. And I'm like, chief, just everything us. is not a secret. Like, why do you have to whisper? <laughs> I don't like that. I don't, you know, if, and, 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 and he didn't just whisper in my ear. He, he he would grab people and whisper, and they, I didn't like it mm-hmm. at all. Do not touch me. So that was a problem. Anyway, he was in charge of internal affairs, and I was a supervisor there at first, a sergeant, and I had a lieutenant. And we would do jobs, and, um, you know, uh, some of the people, if he did not like them, he and they did a small thing or Someone reported that they did a small thing and it wasn't proven and he didn't like them. He would try to throw the book at him like he would add a 100 things on and have you check into this. Just just all this extra stuff Mm -hmm. to to get this person, suspend them or whatever the case may be. And um, so I wasn't having any of that, but I wasn't in charge. The lieutenant was in charge. My jobs I did according to the books and what I was supposed to. And of course, um, we would get into heated debates 
because he wanted a certain thing and he would go off. I want it done this way and blah, blah, blah. But my saving grace was, first of all, I would show him the book and I gained a very close relationship with members of professional standards at the prosecutor's office Mm -hmm. because Irvington Police Department in the 90s, I guess the 80s too, but I wasn't there, but the 90s, um, we were getting a lot of flack about the internal affairs process was not fair and they weren't doing things the way they were supposed to. So the state came in and did a a um, assessment of mm-hmm. internal affairs and we got an F, long story short. So when I got there, it was my goal to try to bring internal affairs the way it's supposed to be. Right. And we have guidelines. If you follow those, it could work. Sure, but it's, sure. it's a right. process. Right. Right. And as a sergeant, you know, I I, I tried to do a lot um, that I could, you know, um, once the lieutenant left, I got promoted to lieutenant. So now I'm the lieutenant in charge of internal affairs. So I really had a, a strong relationship with the prosecutor's office. Now I don't have to ask permission for my lieutenant to go there because, you know, I could just go because I'm in charge. So um ended up sending the detectives there to several classes. We went to classes, which we never done before in IA, maybe one. So mm-hmm. we, we went to several classes. We joined this internal affairs group, you know, which we formed with a, another individual. It was really his group. We It ended up being a meeting, but we made it that. Um, long story short, we started getting things um, together according to, to the statute and what we're supposed to do. And um, this is something you spearheaded. Yeah. Yeah, because it wasn't going right. And and it was pretty much under a dictatorship. Mm-hmm. Whoever the chief felt was going to get it, was going to get it. Mm-hmm. And if someone did something wrong and they were his people, then they didn't get anything. Mm-hmm. And and that, that was not right. Um, again, he was the boss, you know, but I still didn't do what he wanted me to do because what I would do to not do what he say when he went after people, is I would call a prosecutor and they would tell me, nope, 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 as I knew and write. And they, I would say, well, the prosecutor said, <laughs> you know, I would always do that. Um, well, not the prosecutor, but people from mm-hmm. the uh, professional standards, you know, and then he would he would be very upset, but he would follow through with it. it saved a lot of people. Um, with me and I, of course, a lot of the officers didn't like me because I was there. When you're in internal affairs, everybody think you were spying you after them. But um, in all actuality, yeah, um, there were some people that needed to get fired and they did. And 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 if you you did, you stole, you 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 just abused people for no reason. And we had the evidence. I'm not not making anything up. I just follow facts. I didn't overcharge. What you did is what you're going to do. Whatever the hearing officer decides, that's what's going to happen. So we did terminate a lot of people. That's is is. I was going to say crazy, but I don't think crazy is the best word. But again, I can't stop expressing how the outside looking in, we don't see that that work is being done. We don't hear that that work is being done. And for me to hear that the work is being done and to hear that a woman is doing it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Like, that's amazing because we don't, like, 
the chief complaints that I hear all the time, like, especially when it comes to this podcast, is like, um, you know, Naisha, are you taking up for law enforcement? Like, are you are you um, not understanding what they're doing and how they're wrong and how they shouldn't be supported? But hearing your story is like, I'm just a regular person from the community who wants better and by any means necessary, I'm going to make sure that it's better, not just for myself, not just for the force, but for our people. Mm-hmm. And to hear that, it's like... That's important. That's yeah. that's really that's really important. And I commend you like you you've done an amazing job. And I told you prior to even, um, you know, this podcast, just hearing or just like reading your resume, you've accomplished so much. Um, and and you're sitting here and it's like, oh, yeah, I did that. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I did that. But you've done a lot. But I do have a question, like um, your initiatives that you you share, um, two things that stood out for me um, that you teach, like de-escalation and um, domestic violence. Is that something that you went to um, and it's attached to personal reasons why you've gone to teaching that? Or this is just something that you feel is important and that's why you've done it? Okay, so while I was in internal affairs and once I became a lieutenant, um, one of the uh, supervisors from the county mm-hmm. um, wanted, had uh, appointed someone from Irvington to be the domestic violence liaison. Every police department, according to the state, should have a domestic violence response team. Okay. Um, so when individuals are involved in domestic violence, they have a civilian person to talk to. And, um, you know, there are resources, housing. There are several things a domestic violence unit does. And and we needed an officer to be involved as well mm-hmm. to handle and make sure that the police officers respond and are doing what they're supposed to do. And just to have, um, you know, the community and law enforcement working together for one cause with domestic violence. So I was in IA. I was asked because the person they appointed did not do it. Mm-hmm. So I became the domestic violence liaison, formed this team of civilian women, went to the churches, got women to volunteer, civilians, and we formed the domestic violence team there. Also, we wanted to do an auxiliary. Myself and a few other officers wanted to start the auxiliary police, which is a volunteer police organization. We started that as well in 2003. Because I was in internal affairs, and part of the internal affairs function is to be involved with the community. And that's Mm -hmm. one thing I did as the internal affairs lieutenant. I went to community meetings. I um, advised, you know, uh, the citizens because there was a big issue with the police in Irvington. And that stemmed back to some sneaker law that they used to have in Irvington or where you. Long before us. They said that, yeah, it was long before us that you couldn't, if you were black and you wore sneakers in Irvington, you would be arrested or you had to run out of town. Something after 10 o'clock or something. Yeah, Yeah. a curfew or whatever. Sneakers. Yeah. Yeah, So, so, and then we. Right. Yeah. So, so then we had, um, Uh. we had, uh, activists marching on Irvington for some police brutality issues as well that happened prior to me getting there. So I felt like with the history of the police in the 60s, 50s, and, you know, coming 
into um, the big migration to the north and, and just the whole history of black folks and the police, I felt like the Irvington community need to know that this internal affairs is different mm. from the others. And we're going to hear, hear your complaints. Now, mind you, sometimes people did abuse the system, use mm-hmm. the system, um, just to report offices thinking that it will get rid of stuff. But if it, ha- if it happened, they were going to be, you know, discipline or it would be written up. It's not my place to discipline, but to mm-hmm. write it up. So anyway, I started doing community meetings, letting, um, taking questions, explaining the internal affairs process, giving my number, giving the cards, mm-hmm. um, introducing my detectives. And in the meantime, we're going to training so that we could do better. Then started the domestic violence group and the auxiliary police group, which are a bunch of volunteers. Ultimately, some of the officers that's still there started the uh, Citizen Police Academy. So we were just trying to let the police know who Irvington police were. Now, Mm -hmm. since Irvington was now turning all almost all black Mm -hmm. and Hispanic at this time. So um, I've always liked doing community things. And so when I was asked to do that, you know, I just... Um, speared off the de-escalation. I just recently um, got a certification in that. I've always pretty much thought I taught Mm de-escalation, although it didn't have a term. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was a patrol lieutenant, because I ultimately got reassigned from internal affairs as a lieutenant because of an investigation involving a chief and a motor vehicle chase. Mm -hmm. And so um, because I, I sent that to the uh, attorney general's office, I got put out because he felt like I should have not okay. sent that. So I, they, as as some of my detectives say, they dragged me out kicking and screaming <laughs> like I was under arrest. <laughs> they had, he had he had two cops there, two officers there to escort me out of internal affairs. They didn't touch me, but okay. you know, so it was like keep okay. in mind. She said they didn't touch me, right? <laughs> right. So um, I became the patrol lieutenant, which I was very happy because. Because during my time in internal affairs, because of the interaction with the chief, I felt like I did all I could do at that point um, as far as putting things on the right track. So I would constantly, at least four times, I requested to get out during my uh, seven and a half years there because I didn't want to work under him anymore, you know. But he didn't let me out. But he dragged me out that day. Well, not physically. So I became a lieutenant. In patrol, which mm-hmm. which I wanted to be, and I loved it. I went to more community meetings, and at that time, I felt like now I'm not in internal affairs. The officers don't have to be afraid of me, and this is when I got to learn a lot of the officers that I really didn't know, mm-hmm. except for them coming to internal affairs for mm-hmm. whatever reason. And so during my time there, I made sure I did roll calls. I also let my sergeant do roll calls. We would do them together. I didn't want the sergeant just to do it, and I don't know what's going on, or me do it and not let them uplift them and let them know. And so we start doing additional training during these roll calls. And the main thing was this de-escalation. We didn't call it that at the time, but I would show videos because, of course, we have YouTube and Google Mm -hmm. to the offices. I would uh, go over use of force or different things, um, attorney general guidelines, 2C, motor vehicle, when you're pulling over someone, you know, just better ways to approach the car. You know, and and I would always say if it was you, because we get stopped too as officers and we get nasty officers, no matter what color they are, give me your driver's license, just just straight nasty. 
And you just have to learn how to calm that down because I don't walk around with a police car, drive around with a police car, a badge, so they don't know. But I don't know what day they went through. So my thing is, because Mm. I'm an officer, I'm like, no problem, officer. I'll give them my Mm. credentials, no matter how nasty. And normally, it's going to calm that person down. Same thing if I go on a job or my officers go on a job. The person is pissed off Mm -hmm. that the police are there. So they're going to shout and cuss you out, especially in our community, Mm -hmm. the officers and stuff like that. And I would tell the officers, because initially I used to get pissed when they called me a B-I-T-C-H when I first got on the job. That Mm -hmm. is fighting words. But I (laughs) I got to remember, I'm a cop now. You know, so I I can't react to this. Mm -hmm. But let me tell you, I had to get myself. I teach myself, look. These people just don't want to see you because you're the police. So they're not necessarily mad at you. They're mad at the situation. Mm. So I would, you know, try to tell my officers, when you go there, I don't care if they go on hysterical, flaring their arms. And sometimes when the police show up, people try to show off even more. Mm-hmm. It depends. Right, or, right, right. Or, or they stress, whatever. Just just what they call your names. Listen, sir, I'm here to help. I, I, I didn't cause the problem. All I'm trying to do is find out what's going on. And your comments voice, don't let whatever they call you or say to you make you get to that level where you have to touch them. Because I'm going to tell you right now, when you respond, especially when you're new at this job, you will be fighting someone every day. Mm-hmm. They throw bottles at you, some people. But once they get to know you, and this is why I did those meetings once I could as a sergeant, as mm-hmm. a lieutenant, mm-hmm. and even as a captain, so that people can know me. I would get a, see a group of guys on the corner, and I know they're doing something. Do You know who your people are. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the thing is, look, you know, you can't hang here because of blah, blah, blah. Just be nice. Don't, that's my corner, get off. You know, mm-hmm. there's a way you talk to people, mm-hmm. and you want respect, and whether they're good or bad, you still try to talk to them with respect. And they, they nine times out of ten, unless they have a mental disorder, they're going to receive that. I'm happy you said if they have a mental disorder. So before I ask this question, I do want to say um, de-escalation is really important to me as a therapist. Um, what you've done in the community, I'm not sure what you're doing now, and that's, that is important. I do want to say that I extend my hand. Mm-hmm. Like whatever there is that you're currently doing, that you're thinking about doing, that you want to do, I'm here. Okay. Um, that's that's really important to me. Not just necessarily the community, but for our people. That it, that's really important to me because there's a lack of understanding of I hate using the word illness, but the mental capacity, mental illness in our people. You know, mm-hmm. the trauma that we endure and how that continues to ripple. And our life is really important that we have that understanding. So I extend my hand to you with whatever that is that you're doing. Um, But with understanding what this platform is, what no ops is and trying to bridge the gap, you know, you have this therapist, you have this person in law enforcement who's been in law enforcement for so many years and trying to put out to our community that it's really important that we need to bridge that gap. What do you think? we should do or how should we continue this initiative to um, bring better change? 
Okay, well, two of the things I'm involved in, I'm, I'm, I am a member of NOBLE, which is the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives. I joined NOBLE in 1992. Okay. The chief of workers got me involved. We have an initiative called the Law in Your Community. We mm. go out and we have been doing this for the last, since this maybe 15, 16 years, we started this program and we teach people what to do when stopped by the police. Mm. Prior to NOBLE, I was a member of Black Cops Against Police Brutality. And I would have never guessed that was a thing. Yes, Black Cops Against Police Brutality. And um, there was an East Orange sergeant that was, uh, he started that group because an East Orange police officer was beaten and arrested. He was on the job in Elizabeth. And that's when Black Cops Against Police Brutality pretty much um, started. Mm. And so we've done marches um, in New York mm-hmm. with some of those shootings. Uh, Diablo, mm-hmm. I did a march with that. So um, that was an organization. And that's where uh, What to Do When Stopped by the Police started with that organization. Noble has the law in your community. So um, the law in your community, we talk to high school students. We talk to churches. I've done, I presented that um at Rutgers University. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do that. Um, there's a public service announcement that started under the other governor where we have a Montclair detective, um, Shaquille O'Neal, and a few others. They do this public service announcement on um, when you're stopped by the police. Mm-hmm. If, if you YouTube it, you can see it. So we partnered with them. And so Noble, we, we try to do that to bridge the gap. Um, we have a, um, a a conference, a national conference, where we bring in a number of students. Um, one of the uh, agents, because it's law, all law enforcement, mm-hmm. fifty states, Canada. We have a few Africans in England. Mm-hmm. That's a part of this organization, and they bring in about um, maybe about. Three, four hundred kids. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, and they come to our conference, and they have the whole day planned to 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 um, teach them with about law enforcement. Also, we have collegiate chapters now. We have three mm-hmm. noble um, to try to bridge that gap with law enforcement in the community. Then you have other uh, Black African American uh, law enforcement organizations that are doing that as well. Um, the the other thing I would say. Um, with with bridging the gap. Now that I'm retired, I am teaching or or um, trying to mentor individuals to be prepared for the law enforcement entry exam that's coming up. So the application period is out now, came out July 1st, and it ends on August 31st. So I am trying, we give them a little bit of um, how the academy is. Um, We go through some book stuff. Um, We also, you know, pretty much um, try to get their mindset on going to the police academy, trying to stay focused. And um, I would like to be able to get into the academy so I can get some of the officers that's in there before they graduate. Um, Because policing now has changed so much. Uh, I think this generation, to me, the new generation, the millenniums, they appear to be a little more 
humble. They, they don't seem to be as aggressive mm. as my generation. I'm not. I agree. Okay, with with the interactions with people, that is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I I think that the community needs to know that mm. because the the millenn- they're very different, at least in this area, mm-hmm. in between Newark and Irvington. Mm-hmm. Those that I can only comment on 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 that area. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think um, policing to bridge that gap is for each police department to do more community policing activities. You have different departments that have this uh, coffee with a cop. They have different initiatives. I mean, from patrol, I love jumping rope. I used to jump double dutch. I just get out on 21st Street and, can mm-hmm. I jump? They look at me, you know how we, mm-hmm. just, and mm-hmm. they be like, yeah. And it just, it just. I agree. You know. I agree. Um, and so I think those kind of things um, would definitely help bridge the gap. I think um, the Explorers program where you have um, students from age 12 up until they graduate from high school, they get to march and drill and and they go to the police department and they have mentors. Mm -hmm. They have those programs. They have auxiliary programs, domestic violence, group programs. These are all these different programs and, and, and departments can create more to um, get involved in the community. Irvington, we used to have a basketball team. We would play the fire department. We would play right. different, you know, people um, um, from the community at the uh, Chris Gatlin Center. So if they, these initiatives, um, we can start again, or if the police department don't have it, you know, um, ride, ride arounds. There are several things that you can do. And the bottom line is sometimes... We as law enforcement, we think that if we share some stuff that that person may become a criminal and use it against you. The bottom line is in the day of technology, you can Google anything, anything. but it would be better it coming from you and you forming a relationship with someone in the community than for you not to form a relationship in the community. And they just learn it from social media and stuff like that. So I, I'm a big uh, proponent or supporter of um, police and community relationships. Thank definitely. You. Thank you. Again, if there's anything that we can do, please let me know. Um, if there's anything that I can do with my uh, expertise, please let me know. Um, I'm definitely here. Um, whether I need to fly in or sit my ass down, <laughs> I'm here to do it. Um, but... Elijah, is there anything that you want to ask or say before we go? Um, I've had a thousand private conversations with this woman. <laughs> um, and she's always been this person, like always been inspirational to me. I'm sure she knows that. Like, granted, I've worked to achieve the things I've achieved, but watching her move and watching a lot of other people move, but specifically her. Mm-hmm. Uh, move and, and how she achieved things, it, it always inspired me to do greater things. So, mm-hmm. like, my, my my connection to her is um, when she moved on to bigger and greater things, I took her place in the patrol car with her two partners that they had, that she had. So I was, like, the plug-in. Mm-hmm. So because I came, you know, because I got plugged in and then I established a relationship with those two guys, I'm sure they co-signed who I was with her. So mm-hmm. she always, 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 always embraced me. Like I always felt like I've known her 
20 years before I even met her. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm just really, I don't know, I'm just really, I'm ex- I was excited since she said she was coming. I've, I've been excited since then because I knew that once we started peeling this onion <laughs> back, it was going to be crazy because she she says these things like these things she was doing a roll call and these, these training and this de-escalation before it was de-escalation. Like it was just a normal thing, but it was unheard of. Like mm-hmm. nobody was doing that. Nobody's doing it now. Not mm-hmm. And if they are doing it, they're doing it because she started mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So she changed a lot in the way um, the department had started doing things. And, and I appreciate it. And and one other thing too, she didn't mention her time at the um, at the police academy being like a drill sergeant and like this lady's a super shape. Like she's like you would never believe how, the type of shape she's in, but she's always been that way. But of course, because she um, because she was in the academy with these people, certain people had a certain take on her. They didn't like her because she was the authoritative figure in that situation. And then, of course, she was in internal affairs, and internal affairs is the boogeyman for the police. So that starts bad um, relationships. But when she came to patrol, those a lot of those people who didn't didn't know who she really was got to see who she was, and and now their whole view of her is, was different at mm-hmm. the end before she left. And it's just things like she left out, like she didn't say that she's the first female captain ever in the Urban Police Department because she's just super humble and she doesn't, it, it's it's almost like her accomplishments are just normal things, but you can tell by her story, if you were listening, you can tell by her story, she's driven by achievements. Mm. And, and that to me is uh, super, like I love this lady. Mm. Well, I think we love you. Mm. <laughs> now, like really, like, mm. and like Elijah said, we haven't even, we haven't even, like opened up the entire onion. Mm-hmm. I know that there's so, so much more that can be shared. I know there's so many more accomplishments that you can share with us. Um, and I hope that you ultimately come back to do that. Um, but what we want to do with No Ops, we don't want it to just be here on the podcast. We want it to expand within the community and allowing the community to know that they do have a voice and allowing the law enforcement to know that we are all the same, you know, and that's really important for the both of us. And just hearing your story, I know that there's more people like us and I know that we can achieve this goal, um, especially by having someone like you on our team or around us. But thank you. Thank you for coming. Jerry. And we're done. Wow. I didn't even hit, I didn't even touch. (laughs) I'm telling you. Listen, yeah, I have to come back. I had a brother murdered by the police. I didn't even get to that. Amanda. Yes. So, there's a lot. She's a whole season. She's a whole season. This is not like just a normal, like this this lady is. Yes, I'll be back. I got you. Listen, girl, it's going to be about six hours. Thank you for listening to No Ops Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our tiny space, but we also hope you'll take two seconds out of your time to subscribe, like, comment, share, tell your friends, tell your community, go to work, let them know all about us. Until then, we'll see you on the next episode.